Amen. Jesus shall reign. Praise God. If you haven't already, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We are finishing up chapter 40 this morning. If you did not bring a Bible, uh, you're more than welcome to grab one in the back hallway there. Extra copies for you. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 27. This is the word of the Lord. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Praise God. Let's go to him in prayer once again. God, we do thank you for this word. Father, we ask that you will open our eyes and pour into our hearts the life of which you and only you provide. Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand the root of this passage today, that you will help us to see you in your grace, in your mercy, that you just so abundantly provide to us that you will strengthen us. All this we ask in your son's name. Amen. We are wrapping up chapter 40 this morning, the last section of a chapter that has declared the greatness of God. That is what chapter 40 has been all about, how great and awesome Our God is. And what's interesting about this chapter is the context in which it's given. The greatness of God is not some random theological point that is shared here. In chapter 40, God's people are in exile. All that they knew of the promises of God, what they had learned about their faith, What had been shared for generations seemed to have become outdated and irrelevant to their experience. The glory of God and his salvation seemed to have fizzled out under the glory of the world. In chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah had warned the people of God's coming judgment. They were a people who had left the refuge of God and they had ignored his word. They had sought answers to life's problems from a man-centered point of view. They questioned the realness and the truth of what God said. They had wanted relief 
in a physical sense, they were looking for their physical circumstances to change when the real problem, their problem, was a spiritual one. Through the prophet Isaiah, God told them that Babylon would take them into exile. And they wouldn't really go as a group and be able to encourage one another in that time. They wouldn't be huddled together. They would be scattered across the empire. They would be alone. They would become slaves and be held in captivity for over 70 years. Now, when this happened, the people did not open their eyes and see God at work. They did not do any kind of self-assessment. They weren't willing to look within and see the cause of all of this. They had ignored the warnings and in the judgment, they pushed God aside. These are a people who have become bewildered. They are discouraged. They are doubting and they've become overwhelmed. There were those in the midst of all of that. There were those who still believed there was a remnant, but they too were going through the same experiences. Whether it be from personal sin or personal problems and difficulties that arise, this describes the majority of our world, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Most of us in this room know what this struggle is like. We've been there. Some of us are there. And this here, there is a word for what's going on among the people and it's despair. Don't think that despair is not part of the normal Christian life. Scripture speaks to it in many, many places. That tells us that this is something that God's people will face and battle with. The psalmist in Psalm 40 verse 12 says, Evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My my heart fails me. This is a psalm from King David. His indwelling sin had brought him to despair. His heart was failing him. Just a few psalms before, in Psalm 38, he talked of it as a heavy burden. His heart was crushed because of his sin. The burden, the the weight that we feel is not always because of personal sin, though. It is part of the world we live in. It is a normal part of life. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation. In other words, in this life, There will be severe problems and affliction for you. This is especially the norm and should be expected for those who are in ministry. This was a reminder for me this week. Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 4 that he and those with him were afflicted in every way. 
They were stunned, persecuted, struck down, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. They hadn't done anything wrong. They were living out the calling that God gave them. They were living out the gospel of Christ and their lives had pain. There was suffering, a sense of abandonment even at times. When we're in the midst of those times, you and I, we have two choices that we can make. We can have two paths, two completely opposite directions that we can go in. The first one is to begin to question God. Just like the Jews did in their exile. Whether we have caused our predicament that we're in or we are merely recipients of it, we can fall into the question of asking, why doesn't God do something? And we doubt His Word. We we doubt His goodness. We might not say that out loud, but we become impatient, don't we? We want the problem to go away. We want things righted on our time and in our way. And that leads us away from God. That unfortunately is the path that many have taken. Even those who claim to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who go to church, those who want the salvation that God has, they have given up and they've turned down that path that leads them away. But a person doesn't just turn away, do they? Whenever you turn away from one direction, you always turn toward another direction. Many today who claim to be Christian are caught up in the power of positive thinking. And they're looking for what will make them feel good. This has become their way of coping with tragedy and sadness. They fight despair using wisdom of the world. The world tells us to look elsewhere. The world tells us to give in to our feelings. And every step taken into that lie leads them further and further away. The entire time, they're not looking within, nor are they looking upward. Their whole focus is on what's in front of them and what they see and what they can do about it. It's sad to see people walk down that path, to see the damage and the turmoil that they go through. But we never see ourselves taking those steps. We are blind to it until we ask, how did I end up here? Never seeing that in our hearts we questioned God like the Jews. And the world became very enticing. If left to ourselves, you and I, as good of followers of Jesus as we may think we are, if left to ourselves, we will question God. We might not say it, but our lives will show it. Our circumstances always drive our feelings, don't they? 
That is human nature. But God is not like us. He is not driven by our circumstances. He is Lord over them. For us, it doesn't have to be that path of questioning God. We don't have to go in different directions. Even though we change direction and focus like the wind, God never changes. God is good. Our God, He is gracious. He is loving. He is faithful to His Word. In His providence, His glory shines bright and is revealed when He wants it to, to His people. And He knows our weaknesses. God knows how easy it is for you and I to doubt. And like the Jews, He gives us answers to our doubting right in the midst of our struggle. That is what he did through Isaiah in the first 26 verses of the chapter. In verses 1 through 11, he answered the question, does God really want to save us? Does he want what's best for us? In verses 12 through 26, he answered, is he able to save? Is he able to give us what's best for us? These are questions we all ask in hard times. And the answer to those questions is yes. It's yes. Because God is not like us. He does not do things like us. He is not bound by our schedule, our timing, our circumstance, nor our feelings. He is always working on behalf of His people, even when they're in exile. Even in our difficult experiences, when we have been kicked in the gut, when we've been stunned, when we are bewildered, God has not abandoned us. When we are pursuing Him and we're attacked, when our own sin rises up from within us, when we're weakened and we're troubled and we're fearful, when we don't understand or the path in front of us going forward seems to have faded and we're not sure what steps to take, when we're desperate and fighting despair, we can depend on Him. We can look to the One who is not like us. He is there. He's always there. This chapter is so relevant for today. Our faith is not in vain. Our God is still the one true God. He is building His church. He is keeping you. He is sustaining you and transforming you into the likeness of His Son. He is in the midst of bringing His bride to Himself at this very moment. Tomorrow will be unlike today. Whether that tomorrow is literally tomorrow or sometime in the future. We have been assured in this chapter that God is glorious. He is redeeming. And He will fulfill all that He has said. What you know, what you have heard, what you experience in Christ today is only a taste. It's just a taste. It's like a morsel 
of what's to come. All that you have in this life, everything that you experience is marred by sin one way or another. But there is a day coming when God's glory will encompass you and all of this trouble will go away. Isaiah has not only spoken to our doubts, he not only answered our questions, he goes the full extent. And now in our passage, in the last part of the chapter, he shows us how to get out of despair when we fall into it. How to get out of despair and be elevated to a renewed hope. And he does that in three steps. Now, I mentioned three steps. I tried thinking of another way to to describe it for you because I don't want you to think that these are three steps to success. Nor are they three steps to victory over our circumstances. These are not secrets to a less troubled living. Those goals are way too short-sighted. That's how the world looks at difficulty. These steps, these three simple steps, are how God gives us peace in our trials. What Paul in Philippians says is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You see, God never promises to change our circumstances. He promises to be our help and our hope in the midst of them and change our feelings toward them. Three God-exalting steps that's given to us when we need them the most. The first step is in verse 27. It's direct confrontation. Verse 27, direct confrontation. Or you can say honest assessment. And this is to ourselves and to one another. It's how the church lives together as the church. God's people, as God's people, we are to ask the tough questions. We are to face head on our questioning of God, our our doubts of His faithfulness and His goodness by confronting those questions and those doubts. We won't reach the goal if we don't address the real problem. Remember how this chapter began? God says, comfort. Comfort my people. When we are discouraged and brought really low, we need confronted to reach the goal of being comforted. Our thoughts about God need to be corrected and raised to His heights. Remember, the one true God, our God, is a God of love, isn't He? He is always loving Even when His people are in exile, God didn't stop loving them. Even when we struggle, when we've sinned, when we're overwhelmed by these temporary matters, God is right there in love. 
And in His love, He doesn't leave us where we are. The Jews were doubting God. His character was being questioned. His word was being discarded. And He uses His prophet to confront the people. It is loving to point out each other's flawed, twisted views of God. Isaiah asked the people, Why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? What they were asking and thinking about God was not true. God knows and sees everything. And God never disregards His people. What the people were really doing was questioning the covenant that God made with them. God promised to save them and have them as His people. It seemed like God was the one who abandoned them. They were pointing their fingers at God. They were blaming Him for the separation. And that needs confronted. The confronting stops us from going down that wrong path and blaming God. The only way to confront is directly. It's stepping into someone's way so they don't harm themselves. You don't want to blame God for where you are. So there's direct confrontation. Next, in verses 28 and 29, we need reminded about God. There's direct confrontation. And in that confrontation, we need reminded about God. This is not the first time that people were reminded, is it? It's not. They were just told earlier in the chapter that God is the only God. He is the Creator. That He is all-powerful. He and His Word are forever. And here in Isaiah, these verses are saying the same things Again, in verses 28 and 29. It's another reminder about God to these people. And like the Jews, we need constant reminding about the truth of God. We're described in the New Testament as broken cisterns. We're like cracked containers. We leak. We need refilled with the truth about God and His Word. When we start to doubt... Or when a brother or sister questions God, what's needed is the retelling of God's character. This is where we've gotten off track in the church. Here in the church, we we know it's not right to question God or, or to doubt His goodness, but we've adapted the world's way of helping others. We tell them it will be all right to keep the faith, Just hold on. Someone tells us they're struggling and we are sending them positive thinking. Or we tell them what they need to do. We keep their trial and their focus on them and their circumstances. We ought to be doing what is the need here, the real need, when this is either us or it's reminding about who God is in the midst of trial, what we ought to be doing is telling them more about God. 
that is the first thing they need to recognize is that God is still God. He never changes. He always was, is, and will be who He says He is. He doesn't change just because we're in a painful difficulty. We need to be told that. We know it, but how easy we forget it. This is what Isaiah does here. He is helping the Jews to reorient their thinking. Taking the focus off themselves and putting it on God and on who He is. When we do that for a brother or sister, when they do it for us, what it does is change our direction. When we start questioning and we're being overtaken and we're overwhelmed, we're going in that direction away from God and we're turning inward where we ought to be turning outward and upward to the Great One who never changes. It lifts our eyes back to the greatness and the goodness of God. Of His ability to save and His care as a shepherd. Remembering His ways are not our ways. They are better than our ways. What we want is not good enough for us. Man, we need to remember that one, don't we? What we want for us is not good enough for us. God has something better for us. In our downing and when we question God, we need direct confrontation. We need reminded about God and His glory and His grace. And then in verses 30 and 31, we are to wait for the Lord. We are to wait for the Lord. Verse 30 tells us everybody has their limits. No one can go toe-to-toe with life's trials. Nothing on this earth can go on endlessly. Human strength is inadequate. Youth may seem like they have this, this boundless energy, but they don't. We cannot sustain ourselves. No person can give us what we need. No one who we hear or who we know is able to remove our doubts or change our circumstances or replace our hearts with hope and peace. Even those who seem to fit the part here on earth cannot endure forever and persevere. We all have breaking points. Every human being is flawed and has shortcomings. Everything on this planet is dependent on God to exist and helped in trials. God controls it all. He is over it all. And He is doing it all. So those who wait for the Lord are waiting for the only one who can truly help. It is He who renews our strength. It is He who keeps us going. Those who are dependent on God and submit to His ways and His timing are given new strength in the midst of their trials. And that is what we need, isn't it? We don't need human wisdom or human strength. It doesn't last. It's no good. 
We need strength to withstand the difficulty, strength to endure the burdens and the pressure, strength to have peace in the midst of that turmoil. And that strength that we need is not a physical strength. It's a strength that builds up and supports within. And that strength is called hope. We need hope. The very thing missing in despair is what God gives to those who wait for him. Hope brings a rest that is absent in severe trials and the worst circumstances. Hope is looking forward and seeing better days. And isn't that what we want in our trials? Despair looks out and says it will never get better. Hope gives a person the ability to look past whatever's causing pain and see the end of it, and it produces peace in the present. The reality is our lives are full of pain and suffering will come. We will face severe trials. No one can escape them. But here we are told, we are told of real biblical hope. It's described as having wings like eagles that enables us to soar above difficulty, like outrunning the problem or able to walk away from it, but realize it's not a physical removal from the trial. We're not being told that our problems will go away or that we will escape them. These are pictures of what happens inside of us. What is that hope? What hope does that, that inside lifts us up like eagles and helps us to take another step in the midst of our worst days? That hope is because of who God is. We Christians know for sure what is ahead for God's people. We have a state of perfect rest. A forever peace, and not just inside, but one day peace in every way, an endless glory coming for the people of God. It's a hope that doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit by what the Son of God accomplished for us. He overcame our worst trial our heaviest, most worrisome burden. Our sin had alienated us from God. It had us as God's enemy, but Christ made peace for us by dying on the cross, taking that punishment, and rising from the dead. He now gives eternal life through faith in Him. Every follower of Jesus Christ, every person who's repented of their sin and who confesses Christ as Lord is now being remade in his likeness, a likeness that God accepts in his presence, who he loves endlessly and who gives eternal peace and joy to our renewal is the hope of Christ. We wait on the Lord 
by looking to Christ, being reminded of him and depending on him. It's trusting in his work and his love. It's putting faith in God's promises, not in ourselves, not in some earthly wisdom, trusting him until he answers us and directs our path. And we do this through the word of God. You can't wait on the Lord without knowing Christ, and you can't know Christ without His Word. Our waiting has to be done through the Word of God that points us to Christ, that tells us about Him, and it changes our thoughts about Him. As we read the Word, as we're in it, studying it, our minds are renewed to Christ. And what we know and what we're reminded about him that feeds our hearts and our hearts are strengthened with the hope that's in Christ. That's soaring with eagles. Are you anxious about your days or burdened by this world? Don't look for answers by changing directions or taking a different path. Keep your eyes Fixed on Christ, the one that keeps covenant with you and is working within you. Have you learned to wait for the Lord? Confront your doubting. Let the truths of Christ be fresh again and be strengthened by the hope that is in Christ. Who do you know? around you, in our community, in your family, that's struggling and needs reminded about who God really is. Share with them the truth you know that you've learned from his word. They need that, not your nice, kind platitudes. They need the word of Christ. Share the hope that is in you. Give them the gospel of Christ. Point them to the Lord. If they're saved, their hearts will be renewed with hope. If they're not, maybe this is the day that they will be. And together, God's people will run the race of faith and not be weary. We will walk and not be faint. We will soar like eagles into God's eternal glory. Let's pray.